Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Today, we are talking about grief and loss. By having conversations about this highly sensitive and important topic, it helps to normalize the grieving process and reduce the stigma and isolation often associated with grief. Our goal is to offer practical advice, coping strategies, and support for individuals who are struggling with grief and loss. Joanna Adler is a licensed clinical psychologist, executive coach, and depth hypnosis practitioner. She holds a doctorate degree in clinical psychology from the California Institute of Integral Studies, where she specialized in the study of transpersonal psychology and family psychology. Joanna has been working with individuals, couples, and families as a psychotherapist for three decades. She has trained extensively in the fields of applied shamanism, Buddhist psychology, energy medicine, and depth hypnosis, and teaches nationally and internationally in these fields. Joanna has a virtual private practice. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. Absolutely. Hi, Argavan. So thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So there's been grief and loss all around me. And I feel like as I get older, unfortunately, more and more people in my life are dealing with it, most recently a family member. So I really Mm -hmm. feel this topic is necessary. You know, as much as we'd like to avoid it, we cannot. And so I really feel like this is going to be a special conversation and hopefully our listeners can take something away from it, feeling empowered when they're dealing with such strong feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that a fam- a family member of yours has had a loss or you lost a family member, Argavon. The- yes, a family member who's very close to another very close family member. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry for the, for the loss. It, it is such a... Um, it's such a difficult journey, right? It's a difficult journey for everyone. It's not one that anyone is going to go through their life and not be touched by. So it's incredibly important to talk about it. And it's, it's, um, it's a difficult thing to, to navigate. Yes. And having had multiple conversations with friends who've also gone through grief and loss, Everyone deals with it in such different ways, but I also feel like in our society, it's not talked about enough and people often feel isolated or they feel alone in their feelings. And this is why I want to bring back this aspect of community. And while everyone may experience it differently, everyone has experienced it. And so I'm hoping that people can feel like someone can relate to them. Absolutely. I mean, it is, it's interesting that you bring up community. um, Because I think this is one of those places where we struggle to support each other, and whether where it's so incredibly important to find ways to support each other, right? 
Um, so, you know, I, and, and happy to talk about that today, you know, within this context of working with grief and loss, right? This is an intimate and unique experience to every individual, as you said, and it can be confusing and it can be overwhelming. Um, but the good news is that healing from loss is possible, right? That is the good news. Um, it takes time and it takes patience and it's important not to lose hope. And it's important to access resources if you're struggling as you're moving through your grieving process. And I think that's part of what we're going to be talking about here today. Yes, exactly. All of the things that you said. And I would love for you to first share for people that are really struggling that how valuable therapy can be, but we also know there's so many different types of therapy. But if we're talking about therapy on the whole, how can that be valuable for individuals? who are dealing with grief and loss? Well, um, therapy or counseling, whether we're talking about psychotherapy or grief counseling or um, um, counseling from a spiritual counseling model, which is where I mostly tend to work from these days, um, it, it offers so much. It can give you context for your experience, right? It helps you understand you are not alone. It gives you a place within which you can receive compassionate holding and witnessing of your experience, right? There's, there's something really important about when, uh, when one is in pain to know that somebody else knows and understands what is going on. And, you know, the third thing about therapy and counseling is that it can point you along the path of healing right? Or understanding what's needed to come through the other side. Um, You know, this is a journey. Grief is a journey and a path and it takes time. And honestly, it takes some dedication to the process. Um, But the potential is to come out the other side of it with more understanding, more wisdom, and actually feeling more whole on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I've come to understand, so There's the stages of grief, which is part of the journey. And I used to think that one would move through each stage just as it is. But I've then later realized and appreciated the fact like you can move from one stage to another and you may jump to a stage and then revert back to a stage and it's not stagnant and it looks different for everybody depending on where they are in their journey. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand when they do some brief reading about the the stages of grief um, that this is not a linear process. <laughs> you know, one goes back and forth, and there may be somebody that skips certain stages altogether. And um, you know, you know, this is this is a thing where you're moving through. Um, through these different stages and processes, each person in their individual way. So, uh, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was the um, first person to really identify these stages. And she has this very famous book called On Death and Dying, which I do highly recommend. And she talked about, in general, the five stages of grief being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So those are the five, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So, you know, I I think it's, 
you know, I think it's important to emphasize that these are kind of a reference guide. They're not a rule. They are ways, you know, they are um, possibilities of what someone may go through as they're going through this, this grief process. I generally actually think of what is called the stages of grief as reactions, actually. And so see what you think of this. But, um, you know, this idea that these are reactions to a loss, right? So that we have this kind of core experience of loss, whether it's loss of a person or loss of a home or loss of a pet or a job or, or um, you know, a way of being, right? You know, I um, have a client um, who, who recently had an accident and lost the, the use of his legs, for example, right? So all, there's all sorts of kinds of loss. Um, loss is an incredibly painful thing. The stages are reactions to the loss. So ways we relate to the loss that happened. And um, hopefully that's helpful for people to understand that there's a difference, right? Like there's this, there's the thing that happened and then there's the way we relate to it, right? So like with denial, someone might be numbing, or they might be trying to kind of gird themselves, steady themselves in some way against the pain, right? With like bracing or something like that. With anger, with an anger reaction, someone may be trying to make meaning by blaming someone else or blaming themselves, right? Or blaming mm-hmm. God, right? That's mm-hmm. one way that anger can appear. And bargaining you know, just to go through these quickly with, with, you know, to give them, flesh them out just a little bit, um, you know, bargaining can be when one tries to control a situation or control the outcome of a situation, right? Like, dear God, if, if you let my child live, I will dedicate my life to you, the rest of my life to your service, for example, right? somebody might say, right? That's a a classic kind of bargaining. It's an attempt to try and control the outcome of a situation, whether it's controllable or not, right? And usually it's not controllable. Um, Depression, you know, depression is like a hardening of sadness, right? You know, interesting. Mm -hmm. Loss is, um, as I, as I, kind of hold it, you know, loss inevitably involves sadness. But if we keep letting the sadness move, it doesn't harden into this encrusted thing that depression can be, Um, you know, but with overwhelm, uh, with these kinds of experiences, people can feel beaten down or even broken by them, you know, or, you know, at, at least for a period of time. And that's, you know, those are ways I I think of what depression is. It's like a hardening um, into a static state of that sadness. It's really Um, interesting you said mm -hmm. reaction because often we observe someone and we look at their behavior. But it's interesting when you say reaction, it's more about their feelings. So I I really, that word is so powerful and I'm going to look at things differently as a result. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm so glad. You know, I, I think it is, a, of course, anybody's behavior stems from their feelings, mm-hmm. 
right? And we can see we can see brief reactions on a behavioral level. Uh, we can see, and we we it's I think it's really important to track them back into what's happening on the emotional level, so we can understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and acceptance is the final stage, right? So we're just going through the stages here, um, where where someone and you know like you said, people are cycling through these and even sometimes feel like they're spiraling through these. So like there's a moment where someone may feel a level of acceptance of what's happened and then they lose the acceptance again and they move into sadness again, or they move into anger again. And then maybe they come back into a deeper level of acceptance, right? So we kind of cycle through it for a while until we, we get steady into the acceptance of the truth of what happened. Yeah. And Joanna, I think what's interesting is often someone can go through the stages of grief and others may judge them based on either how quickly they go through the stages or where they are in the stages. And I've heard people, and I know it's unintentional and it comes from a good place, but it is a judgment where they'll say, oh, if that were me, fill in the blank. Like Mm -hmm. I would be you know, beside myself and I would be doing this. And maybe that person wasn't as close with that person. Or again, if I were in that situation and I feel like that is so interesting, having seen so many different people, especially those close to me going through those stages, like you said, they're not linear. And so we do have to look at it differently. Absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, you're bringing up judgment, which is, I think, a really important thing to bring up at this point, because, you know, judgment, I would put in the anger stage category, whether it's, you know, about the person who's the closest to the loss, or somebody else is um, using judgment to, and in the way they're relating to someone who's going through loss, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it can come out in a in a whole variety of ways, um, you know, and judgment generally implies a level of condescension, mm-hmm. right. Rather than a level of connection. Yes. And, um, the, you know, I, people aren't necessarily conscious of the fact that when they engage in judgment, they are causing harm. Right. And the harm, <laughs> you know, people get condescending, we're getting slight, uh, slightly off track, but it's a little parentheses here. You yes. know, from my point of view, people get condescending because they're uncomfortable with what they see. Yes, exactly. And they're trying mm-hmm. to separate themselves from what they see, right? I, if I, you know, I would handle this better than that person. And therefore I'm in a relationship of superiority and I don't have to feel what's happening and be present with the truth of it. Right. So it's a whole, you know, this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but it is a whole um, important piece of what happens in relationships and the way people try to sort of, quote unquote, protect themselves through what I would call negative means. Yep. And seeing those feelings in someone else can bring about really uncomfortable feelings within oneself. And so that could be that projection that happens in the form of a comment or judgment. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'd love if you can speak to, because people hear therapy and they might think traditional form of therapy, but even when I learned about what you do, there are so many different 
modalities that you integrate into your own practice when you work with clients. So clinical psychology, depth hypnosis, energy medicine, Buddhist psychology. Can you please speak to what those are and why you use them? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, so, you know, the main, the main model that I work out of is this depth hypnosis spiritual counseling model. And depth hypnosis was created by um, Dr. Issa Guchardi, um, who founded a center, which is in Berkeley, California now, um, called the Foundation of the Sacred Stream. And it's a school for consciousness studies. And basically, you know, depth hypnosis is this integration of these really gangbusters healing modalities. So we're using, uh, we, you know, we understand from the point of view of transpersonal psychology that, um, that there are resources that one can call on when one is struggling. So, you know, whether we think about those resources as nature, as um, the earth, as universal flow, as spirit, as the divine as our own heart, our own higher self, um, you know, within the context or under the umbrella of transpersonal psychology, we, we are able to work with our own experiences, like what we're talking about today, the experience of loss and the, the grief reactions we have, knowing that there are resources we can tap into to help us. Um, depth hypnosis has these pillars of hypnotherapy, energy medicine, Buddhist psychology, and um, up the um, applied shamanism, which uses the healing um, catalytic processes that come out of earth-based wisdom, wisdom to support it. So we're, we're, we've got like this powerful engine that comes from understanding energy medicine, which is a form of healing that works with subtle energy systems of the body and psyche that are what power the healing processes in, in applied shamanism. And we, we use that also, or we work with that also within the context of Buddhist psychology, right? And Buddhist psychology is rooted in this vast science, this vast wisdom that is Buddhist philosophy. And we work with Buddhist psychology to apply the ancient understandings of the nature of reality to contemporary human problems. So it's like we're taking this vast body of knowledge and saying, okay, so what does that look like when we're working with a grief reaction, right? So this way that we access this um, universal holding and ancient understanding to, pow to have the resources we need to steady ourselves in the face of what's happening in our world. So fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. I think there, you know, some of these things for some people can sound a little bit woo woo. Um, and what my, you know, what my experience is, you know, I have, you know, I have my doctorate, as you said, in clinical psychology, I have a, you know, basis of understanding research and statistics and really looking at how do we know our world? And what I find is that working from this point of view that, that um, the depth hypnosis processes provide, um, 
brings this effectiveness and this efficiency to the process of healing, right? We're not just, we're not just um, sitting with somebody with our heart open and holding them in compassion, although that's incredibly important. We are then moving to say, okay, this reaction, this particular reaction that you're having to this particular loss, how do we understand where that's come from inside of you? Where is it? Where are its roots? How do we understand? How do we allow this pain to help us track into a place where you may have a coping strategy that um, may be doing more harm than good? And, you know, so, so this like this path to wholeness opens up here um, as we use our, underst- our grief reaction understandings to help us inform um, our understanding of our deeper selves. And what I'm hearing is there's the acknowledgement piece, then there's the building, the awareness piece, and then there's the offering hope so one doesn't feel stuck. In, in that space, like they know eventually, right, depending on, again, the journey and, and time, that they will eventually be able to not move on, but move forward. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's really important what you just said, that we are always, as any kind of health professional or family member or anybody uh, attempting to be helpful to someone is brie- grieving, to help them remember if they're open and interested that feelings come in and out like waves, you know, like waves on the beach and they get stronger and stronger and they crest and they break on the beach and then they recede, right? So feelings never stay in a static state, right? So people can get to the point where they're like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can stand this. I can't tolerate this feeling. And the thing is, is that we take another breath and we take a next breath. And then we see that slowly over time, actually, this changes. The feelings change and shift. And it's important to remember that that happens and to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And someone who is so passionate about children, I have two of my own and I work with children and I'm around children all the time. We know that children are also not little adults. And I would love for you to share how children and teens grieve. And, and again, I know everyone is different, but what sort of patterns do we see there? I've typically seen a lot of avoidance when it comes to children who've lost someone close to them, but I know that can look different for everybody. Yeah, it absolutely can look differently for everybody. You know, when we're tra- trying to track this with kids, one of the things that we're tracking is their behavior, right? Um, you know, do, are they crying? Are they throwing things across the room? Are they um, shut down and just want to sleep? You know, they don't want to talk to anybody. You know, we're, we can track them from the outside behaviorally. And then it's important to say, look, I'm seeing that you're, I see that you're so sad, or I see that you know, you're must, I, I'm wondering if maybe you're angry because you just threw your toy across the room. Or it seems like maybe you just don't want to feel these, maybe you don't want to feel these feelings, which would be totally understandable because you just keep wanting to go back to sleep. 
right? So we're encouraging children to know their feelings and express their feelings if they have the words. And if they don't have the words, we're offering them the words, right? And, you know, one thing I, you know, I worked at a school for um, emotionally disturbed and developmentally delayed kids for for several years early in my career. Um, And, you know, one of the things that is really important with kids is to be offering this idea that, you know, for some kids, when they um, are crying and crying and crying, they're just feeling really sad. And other kids might actually be feeling mad at themselves or at the person that died or at the change in the situation um, and is coming out as tears, right? And then, you know, I'm wondering if you have a sense, are you feeling sad? Is that right? Right? Or, you know, another tool that I often would use with kids is to say, you know, if I'm talking with a, let's say a 10-year-old girl, to say to her, you know, there are some other um, girls about your age that that I know that when they have, you know, when they're throwing things across the room, they were feeling really mad. Is that what's happening for you? Right? So, so you can say this thing about some other kids your age that I know were feeling this, but then to ask, is this what you were feeling? Um, because you also want to give them the space to have their own experience, right? And to be able to to be able to speak to it. Um, I will say with kids, it is really helpful to stick with routines as much as possible and to help them have or find a way that that they like to be able to say goodbye, right? To the person, to the pet, to the home, right? To whatever it is, to the school. The closure piece. The closure piece, exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And I would think as caregivers, it's so difficult to watch your children have these difficult emotions, whether they're avoiding or they're angry, they're crying. And so often as caregivers, I know we want to try to resolve, right? By resolving, meaning make things better. And is it like, what is the fine line between letting feelings be and feeling the need to intervene? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I I think it's, you know, this is one of these things that's unique to every kid in every situation. And so you have to use a little bit of um, emotional intelligence and intuition, right? So they're gonna, there will be some kids who have a hard time expressing feelings or want to, are in denial or want to move into dissociating or not focusing on it or pretending it didn't happen. And with those kids, it's really important to calmly and lovingly notice that they're wanting to do that, give them some space to do that and say, Hey, when you're ready, it is going to be important for us to talk about this a little bit, right? To, to keep bringing them back to their feelings. Now there's going to be other kids who wallow in their feelings. Yes. <laughs> right. That just mm-hmm. want to focus there that won't think about anything else that want to flail around, you know, a bit, you know, on the floor or in their lives. And with those kids, like 
you know, it, with those kids, it's, it may be important to say, look, I am seeing that you're having strong feelings and there, we're going to have some structure around this, right? Because we are still going to school and we are still eating our meals and we are still going to bed at a regular time. And we are like, we're helping to hold them to create a structure. It's like, we want to find, we want to do our best to help a kid find the middle ground where they're not avoiding or pretending that their feelings aren't happening and the lot that the loss didn't happen, but they're also not wallowing in it. Right. So it kind of depends on where the kid is going, what, what the response, helpful response is, if that makes any sense. Yes. And that's bringing it back to that routine that you mentioned. Yes, because absolutely. we want to keep that for them. What about kids who internalize feelings because they're afraid to further make their, you know, whether it's a parent or another caregiver that they love more upset? Yeah, that's an that's that's an interesting situation. You know, I think it's really important for parents to know their own limits. So if they are grieving so intensely themselves that they're having a hard time being present with the feelings of their child. It's important to take stock of that and say, and be able to say that to say, look, you're having a hard time and I'm having a hard time too. And it's okay that we're both having a hard time and we're both going to get access resources, right? We're going to access our friends and other family members. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to each, maybe start in therapy or counseling so that we each have a place to speak to this so that we can come back together also and, um, and be loving with each other. Um, you know, ideally as a parent, you know, and I, I teach a conscious parenting class and, um, really parenting has been my main or one of my main bailiwicks for the last 30 years. It's so funny to hear you say three decades of work, but it really is what it is that I've been doing. Um, you know, it is important for a parent to access the resources they need to stabilize so that they can, as soon as possible, come to the child and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm okay and we're going to be okay. And I want you to be able to tell me whatever it is you need to tell me about what you're feeling. Right. It's it's a really hard, like caught between a rock and a hard place thing for a parent who is also grieving to support a child. Like it takes an incredible amount of energy and effort. And so parents have to have to access resources in order to in order to figure out how to be there for their kids as well. Yeah. And I think this is another one of those powerful yet humbling moments in parenting where you say, I don't have all the answers and it's okay not to have the answers, but we'll work together to find a solution that works. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're not going to stay feeling like this forever. And even if I, as a parent, have some days where I'm having a hard time, my love for you is always steady and never changes. And to say to the child, no matter what the situation you know, this isn't your fault, right? There's nothing you did to cause this, right? Because kids go into magical thinking. Yes. And we want to make sure that, um, you know, that they're not thinking if I had, if I had only been there or, you know, 
you know, something would have been different. Or if I had been there instead of the person that died, you know, it would have been different. So we want to make sure and proactively address those kind of common, common magical thinking places that a kid can go into. Yes. Amazing. What about complicated grief? Because I know we're getting into a whole other territory when we talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, complicated grief is when a person gets stuck for some reason in their healing process. Um, this can happen in a whole whole variety of ways. You know, one common way that this happens is that... Um, is that a person feels like in order to remain connected, like if we're, again, if we're talking about the loss of a loved one, it's a really common thing for people to think, if I stay in my pain, in my sadness, in the darkness of the grieving process, that is the only way I have to stay connected to the person I've lost. Right. So people can kind of focus themselves into the pain because they're holding this misconception that that's how they stay connected to the person they've lost. It is not true. It's, it's, um, all that staying, staying in the pain does is keep a person in pain. Yes. So, you know, we, we actually have a whole class on working with grief and loss at sacred at sacred stream foundation of the sacred stream um, which is at sacredstream.org and you know in this class and you know when we work with grief and loss in the depth hypnosis process there's this understanding that um there's understanding of a process to move through to help one actually connect in with the truth of how you were connected and can stay connected to the loved one you lost. And that is through love. It's through your love that you had with them. So we, we have this process in this class that, that people are brought through where they are helped through processes of guided meditation to be present with the truth of their experience, to access um, the experience of an of an internal resource, right? Whether it's um, you know, and that can manifest in a whole variety of ways. In a guided meditation, it could be a light. It could be um, something from nature. You know, a tree, the sunlight, the ocean. It can you know, it can be. Uh, you know, can manifest in any, really in any way, these kind of internal resources. So people are guided to connect with this experience of an inner resource. And with this resource, um, they then begin to be curious about their own grief reaction, right? Like, what, how am I relating to this loss? How is it helpful the way I'm relating? And what's, how is it not so helpful? And then we, then we guide them um, both in lecture and in practice, in meditation practice, to reconnect with the experience of love that, you, that one had with the person or thing that was lost, right? That, that that was the basis of their relationship, that love and connection. 
And then we practice sitting in that love and bringing the experience of that particular quality of love to the pain we are having in relationship to the loss. Okay, so this is this really powerful process of bringing the resource of love to the pain that we're experiencing. And then, and then we are taught how to bring, how to kind of marinate the hat pain, you know, that manifests in a certain grief reaction around the loss. Again and again, we bring the love to that place in a focused way over days and weeks and months and even years until eventually what is left is the love. Right, the pain fades to the background, and what stays in the foreground is the love. Yeah, I love the way that you framed the pain and the love. Those links that you mentioned, Joanna, I'll definitely include those in the show notes because I want to make them easily accessible for the listeners. I want to go back to complicated grief for a minute. When, as you were explaining what it is, the word that came to my mind is guilt. And often I feel those who are stuck in that complicated grief place are people who feel a lot of guilt, whether they feel they didn't do enough for the loved one that passed, or they should have spent more time, or for whatever reason, the guilt that stays with them that's so deep. Would you say that that's the main reason why some people may feel stuck? It's a forgiveness? Yeah, I think it's really important what you're pointing to here. And it's a really common way that people, right? So I mentioned that people stay stay in pain in order to stay connected to somebody, right? And guilt is one, guilt or shame are, are really common flavors of that, of that pain. Um, that they keep blaming themselves or they keep blaming somebody else, more, most often themselves, although the blame can go in a whole, a whole variety of directions. But when one is sitting in thinking that something should have happened another way and they are feeling guilty about it, it, it perpetuates the state of pain and the state of grief. So, so you're exactly right. That's perhaps one of the most common ways that that happens. And if one were to stay stuck because we need to have this conversation of anything chronic or long-term will have impact. What would be the physical and mental health impact of staying stuck for an extended period of time? Well, so, so let's talk about first about what an extended period of time is. You know, the research shows that um, on average, people when they're when they've lost someone that's very close to them that that strong waves of grief continue for 6 months to a year and even you know even into a second year so these are not quick processes right so it's, we want to have our expectations set quick you know set here you know when we're looking at a process that um, might take two years to move through. Um, you know, this is this is really like it help it helps us set the container for this, right? Is a lack of health on the mental, emotional, and physical levels, right? And so that can can look like depression, can look like anxiety, 
It can look like um, PTSD, right? Where there's where there's panic responses and where there's reliving of um, reliving of the experience of loss, intrusive thoughts, that kind of thing on the emotional mental level. And you know those things ha- take a toll on the body, right? People in these kinds of situations can have long term um, physical illnesses that come that, you know, that seem to track back to the time of the loss, whether we're talking about, I mean, it, it can manifest really in, in any way. Um, exhaustion is really common. Chronic fatigue is really common. Um, you know, the, the, um, sort of downgrading of the immune system. So somebody's getting colds and flus more often. Or it could, you know, it can, you know, there are some theorists and researchers that will even track these kinds of experiences to deeper problems like MS or, you know, you know, you, you work a lot with, um, with nutrition. So things like food allergies and things like the inability to fight off bugs. So we have parasitic infections or viral infections that the body can't fight off. Um, It can manifest in a whole variety of ways. And for those who are in that complicated grief period, they feel every day they wake up, I can't get through another day. Life is unbearable. I don't know what to do. What would be your advice for that first baby step for them to take? Get help. Find a therapist that um, you resonate with, right? There's lots of therapists out there uh, and counselors out there. So find somebody that you resonate with. You know, when if you reach out, you know, we have um, a, a website on depth hypnosis that, that lists um, many, many, many depth hypnosis practitioners, people who've been certified in the depth hypnosis practices. And people who are certified in those practices will help you find stability in the face of what's happened, right? To support you to square yourself to to the truth of what's happened, to access resources so you can tolerate the truth of what's happened, right? And to support you to allow your feelings to keep moving, to not harden, right? To not get encrusted like we were talking about with depression. You know, grieving is a job, (laughs) Yes. Right. I always encourage people, you know, who are going through grief to think of this as their job. Right. Like this is this is not a, um, you know, this, you know, these pesky emotional experiences that I just wish would go away and I try and push them away. That's not how these go away. Right. The way these the way grief um, gets healed is by being present with it by allowing yourself to be informed and learn from it and allowing it to move through. And what happens is that initially the waves and the, you know, the waves of the feelings crash on you and they just feel huge and intolerable. But the more you are present with them, they get smaller and smaller and smaller and easier, easier to handle. I, I do think that there are all kinds of guided meditation, including what we do in depth hypnosis that are helpful in this because they help 
bring focus you and bring your awareness down into your experience in a way that makes it tolerable right that helps you to root and ground and center um, and kind of find the place inside you know the you know I, I hopefully this will resonate with people but one way that I think about that is I think about, um, I'm talking a lot about waves here and all this movement of the waves of the ocean, uh, you know, on the top of the ocean. But down deep in the ocean, there's a lot of stillness. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. so if we can allow ourselves to quiet and still, we can work through anything. And we can um, use our intentionality to bring the love that we had with the person or place or pet that we've lost and to bring that as solace, right? To support us in the place where the, where the pain is held. Right. And we do that again and again and again until the feelings resolve. So, you know, when I've got somebody who's struggling in this way, I help them understand that their job is to keep, returning to knowing the truth of their experience and it's exhausting and it's difficult and it's painful and it is the quickest way through right because if you push this away or you move into some kind of denial it just takes longer or or the the grief experiences just come out sideways right some people never recover from grief right they just spend the rest of their life in pain Yes. And we don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And even slow releases are so powerful because, again, you're not keeping it in, which can manifest itself in so many different ways as as we've seen from, like you mentioned, autoimmune, arthritis, chronic migraines, you know, even studies have shown with cancer. So it's so multifaceted, but what we don't want is to have all this pent-up stress and negative emotions for an extended period of time. We have to be able to slowly let it go. And it could feel really scary for a lot of people because they feel like I have to do it too fast. But what you're sharing is with the right support, right? Because it comes down to that support. You can go at your own pace and that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And Joanna, I'd love if you could share. So we all have friends and family members who are going through, you know, a grief, loss, but we always want to relate. But oftentimes we haven't personally experienced that loss. How can we best support them? Listen, don't give advice. Um, be accepting of whatever the other person's experience is. Don't try and explain it for them or take it away from them. Be present with them. Um, help with practical tasks, especially if you are seeing that there's something, there's a, a practical place you can be helping, whether it's house cleaning or grocery shopping or, or something else right? But always ask the person, would it be helpful for you? Would it be okay if I went to the grocery store and picked up a few things, right? Always ask the person um, if that, if that would be helpful and if it's okay with them. Right? And generally 
be loving and compassionate. Give them space when it seems like that's helpful. Be present when it seems like that helpful is helpful. Um, you know, compassion, you know, the, the intentionality and compassion is to be present with and hold the wish to relieve suffering. Right? This is not being condescending to suffering. It's not having pity. Right? Pity has condescension in it. Right? It's just being present with. Right? And pointing to the love and holding love. So that's what I would suggest for people supporting others. Amazing. And I often find myself in a place of when someone is in that avoidance and anger stage and they're pushing everyone away. But of course, you know that support is everything. Is it enough to just check in? Or like you said, do you keep offering the practical advice? Or sometimes is it better to step away and just let it be? Yeah, I, I don't suggest offering advice at all. Pra- help with practical tasks, this is different, but I don't suggest offering advice at all. Um, you know, if somebody's angry, you know, I think, I think if you know them well enough, then it's, then it's helpful to say, look, I see you're really mad and I just want you to know I'm here. Um, I don't want to, you know, you know, you might have to say, you know, I don't really want to be the target of your anger, but I'm here. And let, you know, I would love to be able to help you if that's possible and if that's okay with you, right? So you're always asking permission, right? You may need to name, uh, you know, somebody who gets deep in the throes of a grief reaction may not always be conscious of what they're doing. And so if you can calmly name that, boy, it seems like you're really angry. I'm so sorry you're having a hard time that can really diffuse a situation. Mm-hmm. And I've, if I'm sad for someone with someone, but I feel like this is a time and place that they just need to feel those things, right? As, as hard as it is for someone who cares about them to, to see, I would just send them a message and just say, I'm thinking about you or, you know, I'm here if you need anything. And sometimes I feel like that's maybe all I did and maybe it's not enough, but maybe today that's as good as I can, I can share. Yeah. And that's, that, those are great, great places to start. Absolutely. Just to let somebody know you're thinking of them and sending love and, um, you know, asking if you can stop by asking if, um, you know, if they would tell you about the person they lost or the situation they lost or the pet they lost or the home they lost, right? The, the, the opportunity to provide space for someone to speak about their experience is, is an incredibly loving thing to do. Hmm. And if our listeners want to work with you, Joanna, because I'm sure there are a lot of people that are, that are going through it, where can they find you? So, um, my website is joannaadler.net and you can connect with me there. Um, the classes and resources that I spoke with, I spoke about are through sacredstream.org or, um, depthhypnosispractitioner.org, um, or depthhypnosis.org. And so there's a lot of depth hypnosis practitioners out there, um, in all different parts of the country and the world. Um, that, you know, people can access for help. 
On the Sacred Stream site, you can see our list of classes. You can see the list of um, the different um, emphasis, of, you know, in study, whether you might be interested in energy medicine or in Buddhist psychology or in depth hypnosis or in some of the um, empowered living courses that we have and the, the grief and loss courses um, in our empowered living um, course of study. So, you know, I encourage people to check those out. They're incredibly helpful, um, effective resources. Um, so we welcome everyone. And, um, you know, my, my personal practice is quite full, but I, I definitely, um, you know, I definitely take new clients here, here and there when it works. Wonderful. And I will, as mentioned, include all of those in the episode show notes. Joanna, thank you so much for being here to discuss a very sensitive, a very deep topic, but one that is so important because we all need to feel like we're not alone. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. And I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. And I think the big takeaway here is that, and these are your words, but that their inner landscape is different and it's different for everyone. But by gaining insight into your own feelings and experiences, you can truly move forward. Um, And so thank you. This is all such powerful stuff and all of the links I'm sure will be so helpful for everyone. Wonderful. So thank you again. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And to the listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Nilforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.